0: Well, good morning, church. I said, "Good morning, people." At ten forty-five, little rowdy. Good morning. good morning. Listen, I'm so excited to see you here this morning in the room. It's been really encouraging over the past six weeks. We've seen more and more folks come and join us on Sunday mornings. I'm really thankful for our team who creates a space like this that is safe for us to come and worship. Would you just thank them just for a moment? Really thankful for that. For those who are watching online, I'm glad you're tuning in this morning as well. As one church, we're going to connect together as we open up God's Word. And my encouragement today would be to open your heart, open your mind to what God wants to say today, um, to what He wants to teach to us, how He wants to transform us this morning. My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horby. Methodist church, and I consider it an honor to be able to be with you this morning as we continue in this series called Resilient. So this is week two of our series, Resilient. We've been looking at the life of Joseph. In the life of Joseph, we see all kinds of up and downs. We see his life take big turns from here and there and everywhere, but we also see a blueprint for how we can choose to live our lives and navigate trying times. We, we, we discover ways that we can live resilient lives as followers of Jesus as we watch the way that Joseph handles everything that comes at him throughout his life so that our lives are not dictated by our circumstances. What I've, what I've found to be true in my life is this, 10% of life is what happens to us. 90% of our life is how we respond, would you agree? is circumstances, situations, things that are out of our control, but 90% of our life is how we choose to respond to these things. And our choice of response to the circumstances of our lives has everything to do with our ability to experience the dreams that God has for each and every one of us. Last week, Pastor Jeff did a great job of introducing us to this highly dysfunctional family of Joseph. Joseph's life, as we enter into this story in chapter 37, is surrounded by people who are highly dysfunctional. He's learned the same kind of dysfunction, because you see, Joseph's father, Jacob, he was dysfunctional. His grandfather, Isaac, he was dysfunctional. His great-grandfather, Abraham, also dysfunctional. It was handed down from generation to generation to generation. So here's Joseph. The stage is set for a terribly dysfunctional life as well. Now, this dysfunction is what causes Joseph to find himself at odds with his brothers. As Jeff introduced us in chapter 37, he's at such odds with his brothers that his brothers decide to sell him into slavery. They throw him into a pit. They lie to his father and say that he's been killed by a wild animal. And here's the key to the 13 chapters in the book of Genesis that is all focused on this man, this life of Joseph. Just as the family has handed down dysfunction from generation to generation, there's been something else that's been handed down as well into Joseph's life. If you remember the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to this man Abraham and he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and through your family and through your lineage, you will be a blessing to all people. So yes, dysfunction has been handed down. Joseph has got it honest. But he's also received something else, and it's a promise that is coming through Abraham's family that's going to bless all people one day. It doesn't quite make sense yet, but we see a glimpse of it in chapter 37 as Joseph receives a dream that we talked about last week. And this dream has something to do with this promise, even though at this point in time, it's a little bit cloudy. Jeff reminded us that Joseph, he didn't have to let that dysfunction derail him from his destiny, What God wanted to do in him and through him, that dysfunction doesn't have to have the last word and final say in his life. And the same thing is true for us too. If we find ourselves today in the middle of dysfunction, we can be resilient individuals still and believe that God wants to do in us, something in us and something through us. So God will be faithful, but Joseph has to be resilient. I've always considered myself to be a pretty resilient individual. And so this morning, I thought it might be good for us to kind of start all on the same playing ground, same foot, by looking at how resilient we are. So I want to show you a resilient scale, okay? So from one to five, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I want you to answer just in your mind, uh, between one and five, how resilient are you? One being, I'm resilient like a wet paper bag. That's not good. Or a five, I'm rock solid resilient. I have rock solid resilience. Here's the question. Number one, how well do you bounce back from disappointment? When something disappointing happens in your life, how well do you bounce back? One to five. How do you handle stressful situations within your life? One to five. How do you respond when someone is critical of you, when criticism comes from others? How well do you adapt to change? One to five. And lastly, how well do you resist temptation? One to five. I would imagine in the room, we all kind of find ourselves all across the spectrum in different kinds of ways. Again, I consider myself to be pretty resilient. I've gone through some things in my life. I've navigated some stuff within my life, but I didn't realize how much more resilience I needed until I became a parent. Anybody in the room? Can I get an amen? I see you. Hey, you become a parent, everything changes. You become a parent, and there's a whole new kind of resilience you have to have. I mean, the kind of internal fortitude you have to have to change 137 diapers or something a day, I mean, that's something brand new. The kind of fortitude, the resilience you have to have to wake up in the middle of the night and have your child in your bed and there's wet sheets, and it wasn't you. That's resilience. When you wake up in the morning and your alarm goes off and you cry just a little bit to yourself because you don't want to be a parent again today, you ask yourself the question, do I have to break up one more fight? Do I have to fish that thing out of the toilet with my bare hands? Do I have to revisit algebra so my child can pass this class? And the answer is yes, because you're the parent. You ever walked into a room and your kid has a marker and there's no lid? Your blood runs cold, and then you come and find out your child has written their name over every part of the room, every wall, and they've even spelled it right, and it's kind of even in order and nice and line, but still, they've written on everything. That is a kind of resilience that some of us actually don't have. Children are a blessing from the Lord, please hear me, but they are also a reminder that you will never make it throughout this life without the divine intervention of God. Amen. So who in the room would agree with me? I need a little more resilience. (laughs) Joseph did too. You know, in chapter 37, there was this resilience that Joseph had to have to be able to uh, kind of move past the betrayal of his entire family. But what we're going to find here in chapter 39, as the story continues, there's a whole new kind of resilience that Joseph has to have. He's been sold into slavery at this point in time, sold to Ishmaelite traders who have taken him to Egypt and have sold him to Potiphar, who is one of Pharaoh's right-hand men. He's the captain of the guard. He's way high up in Egyptian government. And now he's far from his family. Joseph's alone. He's owned by an Egyptian master. But the Bible tells us a very important piece here in verse two and verse 21. And it bookends the entire story that we're gonna look at here in chapter 39. Here's what it says in verse 2, this portion of Joseph's story. Chapter 39, verse 2 through 4. It says this, The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him, that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes of his, uh, and became an attendant to Potiphar. Because he put him in charge of the household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Everything that he owned. To any reader reading Genesis 39 at this point in time, you would have been shocked that this man, in two verses, has gone from the pit now to the palace, from the very lowest of lows now to a whole new kind of high. Joseph has experienced a major transformation from being trafficked from Canaan to Egypt, being betrayed by his family, now demonstrating such resilience that he finds himself working hard and finding success to where everybody recognizes it, including Potiphar. And there's one reason why, and it's this, and it's mentioned in verse two. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. You see, resilient people bounce back. Resilient people bounce back. As you look at the life of Joseph, here's how you know he's resilient. He's come through all that he's gone through, and he's bounced back. From making his own mistakes, from being betrayed, from being misunderstood, false accusations, forgotten about, broken dreams, he's bounced back. It's kind of like a bouncy ball. I, I went around Lexington, I could not find a bouncy ball like to buy anywhere, oddly enough. So what I did is, my, my nephew actually has a bouncy ball kit. You make your own bouncy balls wild and I did that he was very upset with me because I took one of his 18 bouncy balls and I made it it wasn't very resilient I told him I'm sorry so I'm apologizing live on television to Reese Schroeder I'm sorry I took your bouncy ball but a bouncy ball I mean it has a certain quality to right if you bounce a bouncy ball it's a little unpredictable no matter where you throw it no matter how many times you throw it oh gosh see <laughs> what I mean wherever it goes it does the same thing you can throw it on the ground as much as you'd like over and over again it won't shatter it won't break it does what it bounces back. There have been people that I've known within my life who've gone through incredibly hard things, who've been hurt beyond hurt, who believe they can't be healed, who believe they can't move past this particular thing, but there are people who've had heavy blows in their life, and guess what? They have bounced back all the way to garrison. I made it myself, okay? It's not exactly the most perfect bouncy ball in the world. Here's something that I've found to be true within our life. Every single one of us. We will all experience pain. We will all experience disappointment. We will all experience some level of devastation. No one is exempt from this. In fact, here's what it says in Proverbs twenty four sixteen. Proverbs says this, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. You see, the righteous, though they fall seven times, they get back up. Here, notice something in this passage. The righteous fall, and so do the wicked. But who gets back up? The righteous. Seven times. And here's why. I think it's the same reason that Joseph is able to bounce back within his life. It's mentioned in verse two. It'll be mentioned again in verse 21, bookending the whole passage. It's very simple. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. So maybe this morning, maybe you feel like you've finally had that knockout blow. You can't go any further. You can bounce back. Maybe you feel like you've been hurt beyond hurt. You can bounce back. Maybe you feel like that loss is too heavy. You can bounce back. And here's why. The Lord is with you. He's not forgotten about you. He's in your corner. He is for you and you can bounce back. But Joseph is about to experience a whole new kind of resilience that he hasn't had to have in this story so far here in chapter 39. Because in chapter 39, he experiences something brand new. You see, Potiphar has put him in charge of his entire house. Everything is under Joseph, including his family. Here's what it says in Genesis 39, verse 6 through 7, a whole new kind of resilience. It says, now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master, Potiphar, his wife, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. We learn a couple things here. Joseph's got some muscles. Joseph looks good. And Potiphar's wife notices. The scriptures say that she comes to him and says, listen, come to bed with me. She's not trying to put on the sheets, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) This is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous situation. You see, for, for Joseph, it's dangerous on many different kinds of levels. He's put in a very tough spot here. He's experiencing what traditionally is the biggest stumbling block to men and women for centuries. It's the allure of sexual desire. And Joseph finds himself right in the middle of it. But it's even to a higher level because you have to remember, Joseph is a Hebrew slave all by himself in this empire that is Egypt at that point in time, the strongest place in the world and it's a woman who's married to the number two guy in all of Egypt, he's in a tough spot. What decision he makes here has everything to do with where his life heads from here. You see, this situation that is mentioned here to Joseph is one that maybe many of us in the room we can actually relate to. I've heard stories of individuals, people who I've known, who have been tempted to engage in sinful sexual activity, and it's tempting. It's tempting. Maybe there are others here this morning who can't relate to this situation, but you have this business, and you've been given this business opportunity, and it could be really lucrative, but it's a little bit shady, and it's tempting. Maybe you've been in this situation where you could forego telling the truth. You could tell a lie, and you could potentially then skirt around any kind of punishment that may come, and it's tempting to do that. Maybe you've been on a business trip and you're all by yourself. No one knows where you'll go, where you'll visit on the internet or any place else. No one will know and it's tempting. You see, we are tempted with pleasure. We are tempted with power. We are tempted with position. We are tempted with possessions. This is why I think this discussion today is one of the most important that we could possibly have in this series. Joseph is tempted with something that he has to decide how he will respond. You see, temptation is the intersection of dreams and disaster for every single one of us. Temptation is the intersection of dreams and disaster. I'll give you an example. Recently, a friend of mine and I have started to kind of do this little bit of a diet eat a little bit differently. I've started to run a little bit. Um, I'm starting to bike a little bit again. And I've actually lost like nine pounds over the past like two and a half, three weeks. And so I've been trying to kind of keep this thing together, doing the right things, eating the right things, keeping some motivation behind this whole thing. And it's not easy. If anybody's ever dieted in the room, it's not an easy thing to do. Well, the other day I walked into our kitchen. I had some cravings. I needed a little bit of snack. I walked into our pantry. I was looking for some wisps. Anyone know what wisps are? It's like baked cheese, no carbs, really good. And I was searching everywhere and I couldn't find them. But what I did find was a bag of four oatmeal cream pies that my sons had stashed in the pantry. Now, don't get me wrong, they they were the little oatmeal cream pies. They weren't like the big ones, you know, like the big box. These were just small, there were just four of them in this bag. So my eyes fell on the oatmeal cream pies. And I looked at them for just a second, and I was like, you know, I deserve one. Like I've been working so hard, it's been like two and a half weeks. I'm not eating a lot of carbs. That looks so good. And I have a weakness, and it is oatmeal cream pies. And so I was like, maybe I'll just have one of those. So I did. So I grabbed an oatmeal cream pie, just a small one. Just, it was not a big one, just a small one. And I ate one. And then I ate three more. <laughs> and before I knew it, the entire bag was gone. I ate all four cream pies. Now, I didn't throw everything off, but it, but it was a piece where I had this thing I was trying to do, this thing I was trying to accomplish, a place that I wanted to go, and all of a sudden, I experience this temptation. It's the intersection between dreams and disaster. Joseph knows what this feels like. He's experiencing it right now. You see, Joseph has a dream from God that's been given to him in chapter 37. It's somehow attempt, attached to this promise that God has given Abraham to bless all people. There's a lot riding on this. And Joseph finds himself at this intersection. What do I do? He's being tempted. How does he respond? You see, temptation has a way of playing on our weakest moments, doesn't it? It finds where we are weakest, and it'll play just to that. Think of Joseph's life. His life has been a drag ever since we caught up with him in chapter 37. He's betrayed by his family. He's sold into slavery. He finds himself in Egypt. If anyone could find himself in temptation and convince himself, you know what? I deserve this. Life hasn't gone the way I want it to. I'll do what I want. It's Joseph. Joseph. There are a lot of us in the room, sometimes we try to tr- we try to like uh, make sense in our mind or in our heart why this particular temptation is something we should be able to take part in because life has been so hard. Because life has not played out the way we want it to. We've gotten this deck of cards, and it's not the way we want it, and we deserve this. In the middle of temptation, oftentimes we find ourselves, I'll just dabble with this. I'll just just dip a toe, even though it's not a part of God's dream for me, I'll dip a toe, I'll just, just a taste, just a little flirt, a little compromise, a little indulgence. But how many in the room know that temptation will always take you further than you want to go? It'll always keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will always demand more than you are willing to give every single time. Because temptation to sin always promises something that it cannot deliver, fulfillment significance meaning purpose if you just eat that cream pie you'll feel so good but after four you don't believe me and the same is true with any kind of temptation I mean after it's gone that momentary that momentary craving and too often it's the right turn to disaster not continuing on to the dreams that God has for us. And there's so much at stake. You see, Joseph has been given a dream by God. God has a plan for his life, an intention for his life, something that he wants to do in him so he can do something through him. There's so much at stake here. And Joseph faces disaster if he makes the wrong decision rather than seeing this dream become a reality in his life. I'm convinced of this this morning. Every single one of us who are in this room today, every single one of us who are watching online right now, God has a dream for your life. He has an intention for your life, a purpose for your life. Now, it doesn't mean you've had some kind of, like, you went to sleep and had this grandiose, crazy dream like Joseph had. Here's the dream from God. Do you want to know what it is? Maybe your whole life you've been like, what, what does God want from me or for me? Here it is. In John 10.10, 10, the New Testament, it says this. or The evil one has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give you what? A full life. A real life. You want to know God's dream for you? It's a full life. It's a real life of freedom. That's God's dream for you. Just like God gave Joseph this dream, I believe he's given us a dream as well. And there's so much riding on this. There's so much riding on this because this has to do with our marriages. Our marriages are at stake. Our careers are at stake. Our families are at stake. Our character is at stake. Our integrity is at stake. And it's found at the intersection of temptation, either for dreams or disaster, we must be resilient in the face of temptation. This is where Joseph finds himself. Potiphar's wife notices him. And for the very first time, we see this temptation kind of creep in. Now, here's what it says afterwards. In chapter 39, verses eight through 10, the story goes on. Now Joseph refuses. He says, with me in charge, He told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to me. No one is greater than me in this house. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, or even to be with her. See, Joseph refuses. What I notice in the passage, he refuses first and foremost, he says, because of respect for Potiphar. He's put everything under my charge. How could I do that? And then actually out of respect for her as well, he's held nothing back from me except for what? You, because you're his wife. But then lastly, he says no. He refuses. He's resilient because he said, how could I sin against God? You see, sometimes, guys, sin knocks at the door. And you can't answer. But what's the Bible say here? She comes to him day after day after day, day after day. He always refuses because sometimes you got to know temptation leans on the doorbell. You know what I mean? It never seems to go anywhere. It's always there. In order to resist temptation in our lives, I'm convinced of this. We have to make the decision before the decision has to be made. Do you hear me? We must make the decision before the decision has to be made. I've, I've worked with students in this community for 15 years. This has been my heartbeat from the very beginning. Students, hear me. You're going to school tomorrow. You better make the decision today before there's an opportunity that's placed before you. You better make the decision right now before someone says, hey, here's something to drink, something to smoke. Make the decision now so you don't have to make it when it happens Make the decision now if you find yourself in a relationship. Make the decision now how you're going to handle that, not one day after midnight. Make the decision now how you'll handle some kind of invitation to do something stupid. Because if you wait to do it when it's available to you, you will make the wrong decision every single time. It is so evident to me that Joseph, based upon this dream he was given two chapters before, he already made this decision before he had to make the decision. He was ready, he was prepared. You remember when you were a kid and you used to have fire drills and tornado drills? My son, I mean, he can't stand them. So anxious about all those things. I remember as a kid growing up in Indiana, when you'd have a fire drill, like in the middle of winter, we'd all walk outside with no jackets on and be standing, freezing in the parking lot, waiting for the alarm to finally turn off so we could go back into our classroom and do our thing. In Indiana, tornado drills were like a big deal. Like, so when tornado ha- drills would happen, you'd go out in the hallway, you'd sit down, put your hands over your head, and you'd go wait and look at your friend and be like, wave in, and eventually you'd be done. You'd go back in the classroom and carry on. There was a reason, and there is a reason they do this. It is so that hopefully every kid in their classroom doesn't have to think to decide what to do when that alarm goes off. It's preparing them, it's training them so they can react, they don't have to think. Please hear me. There is no sin, no temptation in this world that has not been a reality for centuries. There's nothing new under the sun. What that means is in every single scenario, we know exactly what could possibly happen. We better make the decision before the decision has to be made. Otherwise, we will make the wrong one every single time. The same is true for temptation. We have to react. We can't just think about it. This is what Joseph does. He didn't want to miss God's plan for him. He didn't want to dishonor Potiphar. He didn't want to dishonor Potiphar's wife and certainly didn't want to dishonor God. And so his integrity at this point in time, when this, story, when this part of the story happens, it paves the way to saving an entire Jewish nation. He doesn't know it yet, but there's a lot riding on this. There's a lot riding on this, but there's nothing new. Here's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God who is faithful will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make you an escape that you might be able to bear underneath it. You'll be given a way out. Look for it. You'll be given a way out. Prepare for it. You'll be given a way out. Make that decision already and take it when it comes your way. Because here's what takes place next in Genesis 39, 11 through 12. One day when Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside, she caught him. Alert, alert. Joseph comes in the house, no one's in there. She's the only one inside. And the Bible says, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. You know what that tells me? Joseph had made this decision a long time ago. Boom, she grabs him, the cloak's gone, he's gone out of the house right now. Does not wait a beat, he's just gone. You see, what happens here in this part of the story is something that you can miss upon first reading. You see, remember in chapter 37, there was another coat that Joseph used to wear, if you remember this, it was the coat of many colors. His father had given it to him. And at that point in time in the story, he saw it as a symbol of superiority. In his immaturity, he actually used it to establish his position over his brothers and cause some of the dysfunction that was going on. Now in chapter 39, there's another cloak that he's wearing. But this time, as soon as it's grabbed, he races out of it. You know why? He cares more about God's plan for his life than his position now. He cares more about God's plan than his position. And the Bible says she's left standing there holding the cloak in her hand. Now, the hand in the Old Testament was a picture of something specific. Every time that it's written about, the hand was a picture, a symbol of power. And what the writer is trying to get you to see is that as she stands there holding that cloak in her hand, that power that she has, an Egyptian woman married to the captain of the guard and this Hebrew slave, even though she tried with all the power that, he, that she had, she couldn't stop the man of God who had a dream from God. That's a powerful piece of the story. And here's something I think we need to understand based upon the blueprint that Joseph offers us. There is a difference between running from something and running to something. You hear me? There is a difference between running from something and running to something. There are many people in the room this morning, maybe those who are watching online, I've experienced it in my own life where I have been exhausted running from temptation. Because if you run from temptation, when you turn around to look again, what do you find? It's still there. It's always on your heels, and if you run from it, it will exhaust you. It will overtake you. There's a difference that I think we see from Joseph between running from something and running to something. So I told you I've been on this diet. I've been wanting to lose a couple pounds, get a little healthier, and I've also started to run a little bit too. I found this app on my phone that is a zombie run app. Hear me out. So, this app you load it on your phone you put your headphones in and you start to run there's a whole scenario that plays in your ears as you're running and so as you're running there's this whole storyline going down and eventually as you run there'll be points in time where it'll say zombie warning and you will hear zombies not real ones in your ears like as you're running and the craziest thing happens if you as you're running you hear the zombie warning if you run faster you can outrun them what motivation And so I'm running through my neighborhood, broad daylight, everything's cool. And now there's zombies chasing me. You can hear them in your ears. And if you run faster, you can outrun them. Here's what I've discovered, though. I'm more exhausted from this run than any other run I've had. You know why? Because I can't see the zombies. I have no idea where I'm exactly going. I just have to run faster until it tells me not to run faster anymore. It's exhausting. Running from something is exhausting. But at the end of the app, whenever you set the duration, when you're about a half mile from being done, it's a whole different thing. Someone comes on the, the headphones and now speaking to you saying, listen, you're almost there. you got a half mile left. Put your head down. Run as fast as you can. And there's zombies right behind you. That's a whole different thing. i got a half mile to go. If I get through the gates, I'm safe, so I run as fast as I can. Here's what I've discovered. When I have a goal, when I have something that I'm running to, when I have a purpose of some kind, it is totally different than just trying to avoid I think Joseph, when he runs away from Potiphar's wife, he's just not running away. He's also running to this dream that God has placed within his life. Don't find yourself running from temptation. Don't find yourself there alone. It will exhaust you. Run to a greater purpose, to a better destination. Run to something. That's how we stay resilient in the face of temptation. You can't just leave a void when temptation comes. If you leave a void, something must fill it. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter four, verse 25. Here's what he says. Therefore, he says, each of you should put off falsehood. Stop lying and be truthful with your neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but now you must work. Do something with your hands that you may be a blessing to others. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. Do you hear it? Paul says, You used to lie, but don't lie any longer. And instead of just trying to run away from that temptation of lying, now tell the truth. used to steal, but steal no longer. Now do something with your hands that'll be a benefit to those around you. You used to speak in such a way where it was hurtful and harmful. Don't do that anymore if you are tempted to do it. Instead, say things that are kind and that benefit others around you. You used to be angry. You used to want to rage. And instead of doing that, and when you're tempted to do that, instead choose kindness. Instead, choose compassion. Paul says... Whatever it was that once was this momentary pleasure, this momentary high, this momentary gratification, you have to choose instead to go God's way because it brings a joy to your heart that's not just momentary, but it lasts a lifelong. Paul says the difference between running from something, all these temptations, instead let's run to something, a dream of some kind. What is God's dream for you? What is God's dream and intention for your family? Run to that. What is God's intention for your marriage? It's the difference between just running from pornography or some kind of temptation and running to your spouse, to your wife, and to your husband in that relationship and investing there. Run to that. For your business, for your community, run to the dream, and you will leave temptation in the dust. Don't just run from something, run to something. So Joseph runs. But Potiphar's wife has the cloak in her hand. The story goes on that Potiphar comes home and the story she tells him is that Joseph, the young Hebrew slave, was the aggressor. Genesis 39, 19 through 21, this section of passage ends here by saying this. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, what's it say? The Lord was with him. The ups and downs of life. Joseph's life, crazy patterns back and forth. But in verse two and in verse one, it says both things, the Lord was with him. You see, sometimes you do the right thing and you still end up in prison. Sometimes you choose the high road. Sometimes you say no. Sometimes you're the one who's restraint. Sometimes you make the right choice, and sometimes it still doesn't go the way you want it to go. You see, sometimes you do the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do. Do you hear me? If we want to have resilient lives, we don't do the right thing expecting some kind of outcome, and if that doesn't happen, we give up on it. No. To live a resilient life is to do the right thing because it's the right thing. Maybe you find yourself today in a very difficult place because you took the high road, Maybe today you find yourself in a difficult place because you were actually restrained. You chose sacrifice. You did the right things. Maybe I think God wants to say to us today, you have found yourself here not because you did the wrong thing, but because you did the right thing. And I wanna take you deeper. I wanna do something in you and through you that you can't understand right now, but God, I think, would wanna remind us the same thing that we're reminded of in this passage. The Lord is with you. The Lord was with him. You see, God gave Abraham this promise of a blessing for the entire world through his family, through his lineage. God gave a dream to young Joseph and God will be faithful to Joseph, but Joseph has to stay resilient. I believe God has given you a dream for your life as well, an intention for your life, a purpose for your life. God will be faithful, but you must stay resilient. Stay resilient. You see, this story of Joseph is a story of rescue. We don't see it quite yet, but in a few chapters, we're going to find that Joseph's life, his integrity that he chooses right here at this intersection, is going to open him up to be a savior to the entire Jewish nation. It's funny because this is a bit of a precursor to what's to come in the New Testament. Joseph is a savior for the Jewish nation, but this other person who comes along, Jesus, he's a savior for the entire world. And so, even though Joseph does the right thing, he gets thrown into prison. Guess what? Jesus was perfect. He did nothing but love and serve and care for, feed the hungry, stand by the lonely, and he was crucified on a cross. But he did it to rescue us. See, I think Joseph had a choice on how he saw his life at this point in time, put in prison. He has a choice at the crossroads of temptation to see ourselves as a victim. Or a victor. A victim or a victor. Even Jesus, crucified on a cross, it looked like he was a victim. Killed, crucified, buried in a tomb, but three days later, he rose from the dead, victorious. So please hear me today. If you're listening to everything we've talked about, you're like, Trevor, you have no idea. I have blown past that intersection years ago. Like I am so deep into temptation, so deep into sin, so, so deeply sacrificing people around me and myself. You have no idea. Yes, I do. And here's the good news for you today. You can either choose to be a victim of your past mistakes, a victim of your circumstances, a victim of those around you perhaps, or you can choose to be a victor because of the victory of Jesus. So no matter who you are today, I wanna to give you hope. Jesus Christ gave himself up on a cross so that you might experience freedom and a full life. It's available to you today. It is available to you today. Jesus died on a cross so that you could stay resilient, to resist temptation instead to choose God's dream for your life. I'm in process with you. I'm excited to be a part of a church of people who want to live the kind of life that God has for us who want to live resilient lives in the face of temptation so we can see all that God has for us, all he has for our community, all he has for our world. Do not grow tired of doing good. Do not grow tired of doing good. Would you join me this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, I know that across this room, On our campus today, those who are watching online right now, there are a lot of temptations, a lot of sins, God, that promise something to us that they can never, ever possibly give us. I pray, God, you would give us eyes to see, a vision to see, God, the things that will only harm us. Help us to see your dream for us, God, the vision that you want for our lives. I pray that we would choose that every single time. Make us resilient people that we might bounce back. Help us to make the decision, God, before it has to be made. I pray, God, that we would never, ever forget that you are with us. You want what's best for us. And I pray, Father, for any person here this morning, that a guy that has never made the decision, the tough decision to allow you to run their life, to give their entire lives to you, I pray that today, God, you would speak to them clearly and invite them into a relationship with you. And I pray, God, we would experience a resilience like we've never seen before. We love you with our whole hearts. We pray now, God, that you would give us a vision in our hearts and our minds, that we might run towards that. It's your name we pray, amen.